0: You're listening to the Mind Your Business podcast. Today, I'm talking with Marissa Peer about the three causes of all suffering and how to change your mind. So, stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and with 13 years online, I've built my business to over $9 million in sales per year. And this is the first non-business business podcast that shows you how to apply the principles of spirituality, energy, and mindset to create true and lasting success all from the inside out. This is the Mind Your Business Podcast. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? How the heck are you? I'm your host with the most, James Wedmore. Thank you so much for tuning in to another fantabulous episode here on the Mind Your Business Podcast. I am coming to you from where I've been coming to you from the last six months, Sedona. I'm actually very excited. I'm in a new property. If you've been following along my journey, I hope you have on the Instagrams. I've been sharing some of the stories of the views of our latest property that we just purchased here unbelievable views that I got to wake up to this morning. It's been this fun business adventure as we are fixing up these properties, bringing new life into them, using all the skills of business and marketing to launch this fun little side thing with my wife. She does the design, and I do a little business and marketing for it. It's been a blasty blast. And I'm here in the new house, we actually just got internet, I would say about 20 minutes ago. So I'm like, well, might as well record the intro so we can actually get it uploaded. <laughs> so if you haven't been following me on Instagram, following those stories, make sure to do so, at James Webmore. So I'm really excited for today's interview. I first discovered Marissa Peer, today's guest, years ago with a very, I think, infamous, I talk about this in the episode, but a very infamous talk, chat, presentation that she did at, I believe it was Awesomeness Fest a couple of years ago, I don't know when. And it was so good. We're gonna link that up. In the show notes, it was a presentation on just those three powerful words of I am enough and how that can just change your life right there, right? And so I was very excited to have a deep dive conversation with Marissa. And it was unbelievable what we talked about in this episode. talks about the three strategies for how to change your mind, right? Because when we change our thoughts, We change our feelings, we change our feelings, we change our actions, we change our actions. You're gonna change your results. You're gonna change your life. You're gonna change your experience. And she's gonna show you how to do that with countless examples today, but three very specific strategies for doing that. And then what we looked at was in her years and years of experience of working with numerous people, she's able to boil it down into really just what she calls the three problems, the three things that are wrong with people (laughs) in a way, but really the three causes of so much of the suffering struggle that we all face as part of our human condition and how to get ourselves out of that, how to fix that, how to solve that. So it's a fantastic episode. I know you're going to love it. So let me know, share it, Instagram it, snapshot it, post it on your stories. Make sure to tag myself and Marissa. Let me know your feedback and thoughts on this one. So for the few of you that maybe haven't heard of Marissa Peer yet, You can learn more over at MarissaPier.com. We're going to link that up in the notes. She's a best-selling author of five books, motivational speaker. She's a leading celebrity therapist and a pioneering hypnotherapist trainer. She was actually voted best speaker at Awesomeness Fest. That presentation was so good. She was named Britain's best therapist by Men's Health Magazine. And she spent over three decades treating a client list that includes international superstar CEOs, royalty, and Olympic athletes. She's a national magazine columnist. She's appeared on major media outlets and television shows like the Today Show, GMTV, Lorraine Kelly, Sky News, BBC News, Channel 4 News, BBC Radio, Celebrity Fit Club, and more. And of course, her biggest accomplishment yet, a guest on the Mind Your Business podcast. (laughs) I'm just kidding, but not really. (laughs) So here we go. Without further ado, let's play that interview with Marissa Peer. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest today on the show, Marissa Peer. Marissa, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastically. Thank you. How are you? I'm very good. I'm doing quite well. So thank you. I'm, I'm really glad we made the time to make this possible. I'm really excited about this because, you know, I, got, I first got introduced to you. You don't know this yet, but I first got introduced to you by watching one of, I'm sure it's become like wildly infamous and viral now, one of your extraordinary talks that you did at uh, Mindvalley event. I think it was like Awesomeness Fest, right? About talking all about the I Am Enough. Man, that was extraordinary. So it's a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. And for those who don't know you, I think that's a great place to start. Do you want to share a little bit about what you do, who you help and how you help them?
1: Yeah. So I was, I trained to be a therapist many years ago and then went into hypnotherapy because it was much better. And then moved from just working with my own clients to being a speaker and a writer. And we train people all over the world to be therapists and I say to all my therapists listen no matter how great this training is your best teachers are your clients they teach you everything and so i've worked with rock stars and billionaires and olympic athletes and supermodels and everyday people who might be running a bakery and they all have the same problems and so i learned that i could fix anyone in a very short period of time by cutting through all the symptoms like i'm an alcoholic I'm a shoplifter. I'm a hoarder going to the heart of what hurts us. You know, I love this expression. If you don't fix your wounds, you bleed on the people that never cut you. Mm. So we're all about, let's fix your wounds. So you don't bleed on the people that didn't inflict those wounds on you.
0: Oh, so good. Well, guys, you said a, a few things that are really fascinating. And I know one of the things you mentioned in our pre-show was that you can really boil it down to just, three things yeah. uh, as the kind of universal human condition that are wrong with us. But actually I, I want to kind of just put that aside for a one, cause you actually said something. I think it was really profound that I don't, I'd be worried that our listeners kind of just skipped over. That was what you shared about just how much our clients can learn from us and how much they teach you. Can you just expand upon that? Cause I, I find that really insightful. Well,
1: you know, being a speaker, I always looked at other speakers and I found there were two types. Some were amazing and told a story and that was good, but it was just a story. And others came along and told a story that left a message. with It made you think, wow, I'm going to put that into practice. Because I'm a great believer that it's not enough to listen, you have to do And often, we love stories, we love TED talks. When you hear someone else's story, it's like that expression, don't ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for you. If you're part of humanity, everyone's story, is your story.
2: Mm.
1: So I've always loved people's stories. And what I've seen is clients not go, well, you know, I'm a beast because I was born at just two pounds. I was in an incubator. I, I nearly died. And they keep telling their own story. Well, I can't find love. My dad left when I was three months. He never came back. He had another kid. They treat that kid like they were Jesus. But me, I just didn't count. And they tell themselves the same story over and over again without understanding one of the fundamental things about the mind, which is so powerful and profound, but so simple. We are hardwired to run back to what's familiar and to run away from what is unfamiliar. That is an absolute fact, but here's another fact. You can make anything you like familiar and anything you like unfamiliar. And I learned this from a client. In came this mega famous movie director, who was suicidal, and funnily enough, one of his friends had just killed himself. Artistic people are actually very vulnerable. I, two very famous photographers both killed themselves not long ago. We know that that wonderful chef, gosh, what's his name? I know him so well, Anthony Bourdain. Sure,
2: He's yeah. gifted. Mm-hmm.
1: Many gifted people don't understand. So in came this guy, and I happened to say gosh, I love your movies. You know, when I was 18, my father took to this movie, and he went, it was terrible. Didn't you notice that The Leaving Lady was all cast wrong? No. Didn't you notice it was filmed in France? That's supposed to be the English countryside. No, I didn't notice. He went, well, it was terrible. I said, but it got an Oscar. He went, I know. There were no good nominations that year. So I said, oh, okay. But your second movie, that was also my favorite, favorite film. And he said, yeah, but there were even worse nominations that year. And I said, oh, I know what's wrong with you. What is it? You can't accept praise. You cannot accept praise, but you can accept criticism. And here's one of the things that's so helpful to understand. I am hardwired to go back to what I know, which is why 70% of lottery winners, 70% are bankrupt in three years. If you don't know investing, And just know getting your paycheck and spending it until the next one comes. When you win the lottery, you'll spend it. If you've never had love, people say, who would reject love? Plenty of children who haven't had love have attachments. We pick them up and they become rigid because they never got the chance to make that familiar. So with him, I said, okay, I know why you're suicidal because you cannot let anyone praise you and... His parents had rejected him very badly when he was young. His father was like a manual worker. He was so creative. They cut him out of their life. He found them later when he needed them and he was suicidal and they weren't very helpful. And then his father got sick and he paid for all his father's medical bills and as his father was dying, he said, Dad, are you proud of me? He went, For what? Mm. Why should I be proud of you poncing around making movies? That's not real. I work with my hands. And so the father is a withholder. I loved that scene in Rocket Man where Elton John went back to his withholding part and he said, Oh, sign this out. And he said, Do you like it? Well, no, I hate it. It's rubbish. My friend at work likes your music. I have no idea why. So when you have a withholding parent, a critical, mean, diminishing parent. It becomes so familiar that sadly, the person that lights you up is critical, mean, diminishing and withholding because our primitive mind thinks if I recreate what's familiar and change the ending, I've made everything right. I've got a cold bitchy mother and I'm gonna find a cold bitchy woman and turn into a complete pussy cat. Then I've changed the ending of my movie. And I said, well, listen, life is far too short to work to change the ending. Change the beginning. Stop looking for a diminishing person and make them complimentary. Look for someone who's like that up front. But this wiring that says I must run back to what I know while running away from what I don't know. So people can't go on a diet. You know, my mum loved me with cake. My gran comforted me with toast and butter. When I had a bad day, I could always buy a candy bar because that's really cheap. And now you're telling me, eat apples, eat celery, lettuce, and I, I can't do it because what's familiar is junk food, sugar, fat. And what's unfamiliar is healthy food. And all you have to do is decide to make that familiar. You know, I always say to my parents, listen, if you wear lenses, how familiar is it to do that, to literally shove your finger in your eye? It's the weirdest thing in the world. As you come towards it, it pulls away. But if you continue with lenses, you can put them in, you can actually squeeze your eyeball and take them out, which seems really weird, especially with nails. I wore lenses for a while, And I could get them in and I could get them out, but at first I couldn't get them in and I definitely couldn't get them out. I had to get people in a restaurant to take out my lenses and then I could do it without a mirror because we can make anything we like familiar. We can make anything we don't like unfamiliar. And one of the best things you can make familiar to change your entire life is praise. You've got to say, I'm great, I'm enough, I'm lovable. There's nothing on the planet like praise that will boost your self-esteem. And your praise means more to your psyche than the praise of someone else who probably has an agenda. So if you want to dramatically change your life today, praise yourself. Here I am, I'm so great, I've got a gift, I'm a good person, I'm warm, I'm nice, I'm lovable, got a good heart, but we do the opposite. Oh, I'm terrible, I'm a loser, look at the size of me, and you know, I didn't iron this shirt, and I'm just a mess, I'm a hot mess. People say the most crazy things to themselves since I moved to America. People say this word, I'm losing my shit. I lost my shit, but she didn't really. You didn't really do that, I mean, literally you didn't. And now you're prepared to lie to yourself. At least tell yourself a better lie. You're about to give a presentation. You have a choice. I'm going to lose my shit. I'm going to fall apart. I'm just a big hot mess. And when I stand up to speak, I sound like an idiot. Or I'm an amazing speaker. I've got something to share. People listen to me. I'm so eloquent and confident. Your mind believes whatever you tell it. You might as well tell it great stuff. And when you have a brilliant mind... Is your choice rationalize why your life is so terrible, or talk yourself out of it? Make good stuff familiar, negatives are unfamiliar. Praise yourself a lot, and that alone will change your entire life. And it's so easy,
0: so great. So, when you allude to the three, the only three things that are wrong with us, is that one of them? Yeah. The no.
1: That's one of the three habits of the brain. I can tell you very quickly what they are. People say, you know, understanding the mind takes a lifetime. It really doesn't. There's only three things about your mind you need to know. One is that the way you feel about everything is down to the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself, which you are free to change at any time. Two is that you are wired and coded to return to what is familiar and avoid what is unfamiliar, but you can make anything you like familiar and unfamiliar in three years, your mind does what it believes you want to do. When you say, it would kill me if my partner left me, I would die if I had another difficult client. This commute is driving me crazy. This kid makes me want to jump under a bus. When you say that, your mind responds to those thoughts. It doesn't care nor know what is real or wrong. So if you want to change your mind, tell it better things, make what is good familiar, what is negative unfamiliar, and make sure that you are in control of the pictures and words in your head.
0: Well, these are so great. Uh, In hearing this, I feel like, and, and I'm curious if you agree that for most people, this experience is of those three things, whether it's the pictures and the words, or even the distinction of familiar versus unfamiliar, or knowing that, your mind's going to do what you believe. These by and large are, what do I say, invisible to yeah. people? And is that your experience? that like people, you know, it's invisible to them. And if so, how do we make these invisibles more visible? Yeah. So
1: I've seen that a lot. I'm often, I was standing at an airport waiting to check in and this girl in the line was just losing it, crying hysterically. And then the ground crew were called to get her luggage off the plane. So I knew we were going to be late. And I said, look, I can help you, love flying. I said, yeah, I can help you in five minutes, love flying. I said, I bet last night you did all your laundry. She said, I did. How do you know? I said, because you're preparing to die. People get in on a flight, tidy the house, wash their dirty underwear, put it all away so that if they die, no one has to come in the house and go through their laundry. Basket. No one does that when they are going to the store or doing the school run. And I asked her what words she was using about flying. And she said, well, I see the plane as a flying coffin, Mm -hmm. and I think I'm never coming back. And I said, you know, the most dangerous part of a flight is the cab ride to the airport. That is the most dangerous bit." And you've done that. And I taught her straight away to change the words. And many years ago, I was sitting in in a waiting, waiting to go on television to talk about my book with another author, and it was fascinating to me that as they put his makeup on, it was sliding off his face. He was sweating and shaking. And he said, this is just terrifying, isn't it? This is a nightmare, I'm like what? Going on television to talk about your book. That's someone else's fantasy dream come true. Authors all over the world would swap places with you right now. And so it is invisible. People don't understand when they say, oh my God, this is terrifying. This is a nightmare. This is killing me. I'm dying. My kid makes me want to die. My partner drives me crazy. My boss is a nightmare. I'm terrified of spiders. I would die if I saw a little mouse running across the floor. No, you wouldn't. That's not true. But if you say it, it becomes true. Like if you say every day, I've got a memory like a sieve. I can guarantee you that will happen. If you say, my mind's like Google, everything comes back to me, that will happen too. And we should all be taught, be aware of how you speak to yourself. And to make it very simple, you have no choice but to react to the words you use. Every thought you think and every word you say is a blueprint that your mind must make real the strongest force in you and me and all our listeners is that we must act in a way that's consistent with how we are defining ourselves. So when you say I'm losing it, I lost it, I'm just a big hot mess and money slips through my fingers, I can never make a relationship work. That isn't true. And if you're prepared to lie to yourself, at least tell yourself a better lie. Mm. I'm so lovable. I magnetically attract love. I'm a magnet for wealth. You see, you can choose whatever you want. You have the choice to say negative, positive, terrible stuff, all good, but your body has no choice but to react to the words you use. So to change your life, change your language. Your words shape your reality. If you don't like your reality, all you have to do is change your language, and it it's a game changer.
0: You mean complaining about it doesn't do anything?
1: No, funnily <laughs> enough, it doesn't, because when your words shape your... If you say, oh, of course this guy is going to dump me, he'd go out with someone with three kids and sell it out. Of course... I'm gonna fail at this pitch because I haven't got a degree. Of course no one's gonna buy my product. That's a blueprint that you start to make real. It's a bit like if you went out and have dogs attack me, dogs attack me, they don't like me, they're vicious. Your nervous energy around a dog will make it attack you. And if you go, oh, I love dogs, come here. You're the cutest thing, your man's best friend. The dog will react to your energy in relationships, in business. Eighty percent is mindset, but what is mindset? Mindset is how you talk to you, and you have a choice every day to say better stuff. You know, when my little girl was little, she'd always get halfway down the drive and come back, and I'd always say, "What have you remembered?" She goes, "Mummy, I've remembered my swimming kit, I've remembered my book, I've remembered my PE kit." When I met my husband who believed he had the worst memory in the world, i say that to him. Oh, what have you remembered? He said, that's so nice. Because I always go, oh, my God, what have I forgotten now? Oh, I've forgotten this. I can't stand myself. I say, no, you remembered. And so you get a choice every day. Every day you get to change twice. The first way you change is in the language you use, and the second way you change is in the behaviors you use. When you change your language, I mean, we're seeing that now with the virus, I'm trapped in the house, I'm in quarantine, I'm in lockdown. But you're really not, no one is sealing up the doors. You're not in quarantine, you can still go out, go for a walk, go to the store. It's not ideal, but you get to choose. I always say, I'm safe at home. I'm in a little retreat in my house. I always want more time. Well, I've definitely got that. Or I could say it's killing me. Someone's taken away my freedom. I'm cooped up with my family. No, you have to be a chicken to be cooped up. Mm. You're not, and you're not locked in or stuck or trapped. And half the people seem to be loving this safe at home and the other half hate it. So that's very telling. It's not the event, It's what you make of it, how you choose to discuss it, what it means to you.
0: That's so true. And so good. And just to speak to that for a moment, we've been talking to so many, you know, not just, you know, friends, family, people I know, but members of our community and listeners and they've found so much good in this time, whether it's like, Oh, I'm finally going to, you know, finish business by design. I'm finally going to finish that course I bought, or I'm going to catch up on a a book or, or start a new hobby or just spend more time with my family. There's so much good to be found always. This is fantastic. And my curiosity comes up, Marissa, as you know this, what you just shared, especially about the mind so much and you teach it and coach people on it. What is now your experience in life? Like, do you still have bad days? Do you get triggered reactionary? Do you catch yourself in the moment? Or, you know, does it all just pass through you?
1: No. The other day I lay on the sofa and I heard myself saying to my husband, I am chronically tired. And I went, where did that come from? I said, I'm not chronically tired. I'm just a little tired. And I'm like a battery recharging. So I'm very lucky that I worked out long ago that my mind is like a Ferrari and I'm the driver of the Ferrari. If I don't have Ferrari driving lessons, that Ferrari is going to stall or go into a tree. I don't work for my mind. It works for me. And I do frequently find myself saying, no, that's not true, I'm not exhausted, I'm not shattered, I'm not starving, I'm not famished, I couldn't eat an 8 little a horse, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, I'm starving. Oh my God, I can't wait another minute to eat. I've got a long drive home, let me cram taco chips in my mouth because I can't wait to eat. And so I still change those words. I can wait. I've got an hour's commute. And I prefer to wait to eat better food or at least buy nuts and not taco chips because they're healthy. Some of my husband goes, You always are like, No, no one always. Sometimes, maybe. So mm-hmm. I'm very good at changing negative to positive. And occasionally my husband goes, Oh my God, don't do that again. And my daughter goes, Mommy, stop therapizing me because she'll go, Mom. I'm dying of stress. And I'm like, no, you're a little stressed. And a little stress is good for you. All you have to do is go to bed, switch off Netflix, stop eating popcorn, go to bed, and then you won't be dying of stress in the morning. So, you know, no one is perfect. But here's the great news. If you do some hacks, 80% of the time, It'll be just as good at doing it 100%. Like if, you, if 80% of your diet is good, you can eat taco chips and popcorn and even donuts. It's very stressful to be 100% perfect clean eater. And you get the same results doing it 80% of the time. So I give myself a break if I was like, oh my God, I can't stand it. But most of the time I correct that. And that's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. When you say a negative thought, oh my God, look at my skin I look ancient here. No, I look tired, and tomorrow I look rested. I'm as big as a house. Well, if you were, you couldn't be in my house. <laughs> I eat non stop, really? Even in the toilet, even in the shower? No, well, then you don't eat non stop. So you have to play a game with yourself and listen to how you talk to you and think, would I ever say to my friend, oh, you're just a hot mess. Oh my God, you've messed that up. Oh, you'll never be able to get away with that. Who's going to pay you for that? Who's going to want you? And if you wouldn't speak to your friend like that, do not do it to yourself. You have to be your own best friend. And remember, there is nothing that will grow you like praise and nothing that will diminish you like criticism. So just make a note, how much do I criticize myself? How much do I praise myself? You need to massively up-level the praise. And it's not difficult. Just say, I'm great. I'm nice. I'm warm. I'm kind. I'm interesting. I'm lovable. And at the same time, minimize the criticism. And when you do criticize, I go, oh, I forgot my keys. I forgot to put the alarm and I forgot to buy milk. It's okay, but don't go, because I'm just rubbish, I'm useless, I've got rocks for brains, I'm just a waste of space, don't do that. Go, yeah, I forgot the milk, because I'm human. Hmm. It doesn't matter.
0: It's so great, too, because I think as our listeners start to hear this, I could imagine that some of them would start to create this belief or expectation that we're supposed to eradicate all negative beliefs from our life or negative thoughts and the negative things that we say. And that's what's supposed to happen. But what I'm really getting from you that it's so much more about just developing the mastery of catching it and knowing that when you catch it in that moment, we can correct it. it's like a little eraser. (laughs) <laughs> You're allowed
1: it. to make a mistake.
0: Yeah.
1: You're allowed to make tons of mistakes. You are not allowed to beat up and punish your body for being human. It's like, you know, I put my alarm on every night and I lock the door. I don't think, oh, my God, someone's going to come in and kill me. I put my seatbelt on, but I don't think, well, yeah, I'm going to have a crash in a minute and die.
2: Right. A
1: lot of things that we do are to make us safe putting a seatbelt on, locking the door, looking before we cross the road, going out when it's dark and not having our phone glued to our ear. And it's perfectly okay to do stuff to make you safe, but it's not okay while you're doing that to start beating yourself up. And, you know, when I was talking about the three things wrong with you, it's a good place to bring them in. Mm -hmm. The three things wrong with everyone. The first thing is I'm not enough. That is massive. Every addiction whether it's alcoholism, or drugs, or food, or hoarding stems from I'm not enough. And the common denominator of all of our issues, apart from starvation, come from I'm not enough. And, you know, since your mind creates your reality, when you say I'm not enough, if you're in I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not it makes you feel really bad. And if you feel bad, It affects the actions you do. I could call that person, but they're going to reject me. I could ask for a raise, but I'll never get it. I could create my own business, but who would turn up? So you have a thought which creates a feeling, which creates an action. Then you justify, well, of course, I'm not going to do that because I'm not enough. And if you change one thing, I am enough. And if you say it and say it and say it, your feeling is, well, I feel quite good now because I'm enough. And now I feel good. I can take an action. One of my clients said, you know, I read your book and I went straight down to the super and said, get my husband out of my apartment, he's abusive, and they moved him out. And then I went into an office and I asked for a job and I got one. And then I talked to my kids about why they never have to allow themselves to be hit by us. It all started from, I'm enough. I used to say, well, I'm never gonna find anyone else. It must be my fault. I antagonize him. And the whole world changed on a dime when I said, I'm enough. Why am I putting up with this? Why am I letting my kids put up with this? So, I'm enough changes everything because your thoughts control your feelings. Your feelings control your actions and your actions control your events. And we spend so much time, I'm gonna change the action. Don't do that, change the thought. I need cookies to cope. Well, if you take cookies away, you'll miss them. And if you go, I never need cookies. Who needs cookies? That's for children. I need better thoughts to cope. Then you've got rid of the thought and the action will get rid of itself. So the three things wrong with everyone is I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And if I'm not enough, I need more, more cookies, more praise, more love, more attention, more stuff to fill up this emptiness of my not enoughness. But because you're not enough as emotional, you can't fill it with stuff. The second thing wrong with people, and it always fascinated me, is this belief I'm different and I can't connect. And I've seen that in so many clients. I saw that in Amy Winehouse. She couldn't connect with anyone except for addicts. The only boy she ever liked was an addict because she felt so unworthy. So our DNA insists that we connect. We're tribal people. If you watch Game of Thrones, there it is. Surviving in those days was a numbers game. If you belong to a tribe, you might make it. If you're on your own going out with a white wall, because you probably will die. So we have this powerful wiring that says, I need to connect. And I connect by being the same. We sort of in tribes and everybody looked the same. But now I, I don't look like you, don't look like me. I'm different. And I tell my clients the truth. Listen, here's the truth. Take it in. If your greatest fear is being different, you know what that makes you? Makes you the same as everyone on the planet, because it's our greatest fear. The greatest fear is public speaking. No, it isn't. The greatest fear is standing on stage and being rejected because you're not good enough. You know, my husband had a chain of comedy clubs, and I would look at comedians because I love human behavior. And one of them told a joke. It was good and then the rest of his act went down and when he came off he said to my husband, Do you see how much they liked that first joke? Did you see how much I got them for the first two minutes? He didn't say and after that I was rubbish, he said I got them for the first two minutes and he went off and made his act better. So you have to decide if I feel different, it actually makes me the same, that's not a problem. It normalizes me. People say, I love AA because it's the only place where I feel the same as other people. AA has not a high success rate, which is not to beat it up, but what they are very good at is making people who are disconnected, connected. Junkies hang out with junkies. Alcoholics hang out with alcoholics. Drug addicts like other drug addicts because they need to feel the same. And most people who are addicted feel so different. So the second thing is, I'm different, I can't connect. That is the bane of your life until you say, actually, I'm not different, I'm the same. We think the same thoughts, we believe the same beliefs, and if I'm the same, I'm connected, because surviving on the planet requires two things, find connection, avoid rejection. We're so busy looking for why we are rejected that it stops us connecting. Mm. And the third thing wrong, is this belief, I want something, but it's not available. I want to be happy, but I've got the depressed gene. I want to be healthy, but I've got the alcoholic gene. I want wealth, but no one in my family went to college. I want love, but my own dad didn't love me. Who's ever going to want me? And if you look at those three things, I'm not enough, and difference, so I can't connect, and what I want is not available. Your job is to shatter those beliefs and write down the opposite, why I am the same, why I'm enough, and why everything I want is available to me. You know, Tony Robbins and Oprah Winfrey, they didn't come from wealth, and they're phenomenally successful. James Corden doesn't have a rock star's body. People love him more for that. So. You can find many people in the world who started off feeling not enough, started off feeling different and started off feeling I'll never get that, but they got it. And mm-hmm. others we see like poor Amy Winehouse and Whitney Houston, even Michael Hutchins, with all their gifts, never felt enough, never felt connected and never felt they were worthy of what they had. George Michael too. And so they destroyed it all.
0: Yeah. These are great. Thank you so much for sharing these and making it simple. You, you shared a bit about the, like where this belief of I'm different comes from there. You know, that really makes a lot of sense, especially going to the game of thrones, like tribal. Yeah. Um, I can really see where, you know, I want something, but it's, it's not available can come from, you know, from whatever our, our genes our parents and our upbringing, where do you tend to see the, I'm not enough originate from, where does that really come from?
1: Childhood, you know, no baby when they're born goes. Don't look at me. I haven't got any teeth. I've got these triple knees. I haven't got any hair. Babies know they're enough. If you took a baby home and put it in a cupboard, it would cry for days because its belief is I'm enough. One of my friends was put in a shoebox and put on a dump, and he was found because he cried. People went past and looked. Is that a cat? Is that a fox? And they realise it was a baby. But if he hadn't had that innate belief, if I cry, someone's going to come and get me, he wouldn't be here. No baby says, I'll just lie here and ask for food or warmth. You know, I just rescued eight kittens that were about to be put down because the shelters don't have any staff. And I was amazed at their belief that, oh, I opened the crate and they climb up my legs and they've decided... If I know I'm enough, you'll look up. And they didn't run and hide. They ran towards me, not away from me, because they knew that I was their chance of living and making it. But you were born. Everyone on this call was born knowing they were enough. It doesn't matter if you were born with a disability. You still thought you are enough. But then systematically we say things to kids. Well, your brother doesn't make a mess. Your sister, she could read when she was four. Look at your cousin. She's so good. And then teachers say things like, why can't you get this? What's wrong with you? And it's very easy to chip away at our enoughness until it's gone. You know, we learn what we live. I mean, my life, I was a head teacher, a principal's daughter, going to my father's school. I can see how I felt so different my whole life. You know, it's not cool to be the head teacher's daughter. <laughs> it's not cool when you're 11, year when your dad is on. Whole. And what can you say when you're 11? You just have to, just have to accept it. Yeah. But what happened with me and most people is that because I believed I was different, I started acting different. I started to go to go. Oh no, I don't like this. I'm different to everyone here, and I made it self-petrol until I stopped it. But the difference, and the I'm not enough. Comes from parents who say, why can't you do more? Why can't you be better? Why aren't you getting A's? I mean, I was giving a talk recently and the guy in the audience put his hand up and said, hey, how can I make my kid good at everything? I said, are you? He said, what, are you good at everything? He said, no. I said, then don't ask your kid to be good at everything. That's, that's impossible. Kids who are gifted at maths aren't gifted at art and kids who are gifted at art aren't gifted at science. You're supposed to be really good at one thing just one and when we keep saying to children but why can't you do math they could go well because i've got an artist brain i've got an emotional brain not logical we'd never say to kids what's wrong with you why can't you do sport and it's starting to go because i'm academic that's my gift and so because they haven't got the ability to answer back they just accept it's me and the biggest problem that I see, and it's, it's quite heartbreaking, is that when parents are mean to their kids, when they withhold, when they put them and they belittle them, why can't you get A's? Well, look at the state of you. The kid never stops loving their parent. They stop loving themselves. You know, my mum had three daughters met me and said, well, you know, I, you're supposed to be a boy. You were supposed to be the smart one. You were supposed to be the salvation. I met someone who was born entirely to be an a blood donor for her older brother. That's why they had her, because they needed her to have the same blood group to give him a bone marrow transplant. Imagine going through life knowing that's why you were put here, to save your brother's life and you wouldn't have been created if that wasn't an agenda. Or we get people who say, you know, I wanted a son. I needed a son, but I got a girl. And one of my clients told me that she remembered her mother, the mother's fourth pregnancy was a girl. And she remembered someone stopping in the street and saying, your poor husband, you know, he's not a man without sons. You must be devastated. This fourth one is still a girl. And she said, I just felt completely inadequate. And amazing, that girl became a fire officer. Mm-hmm. Because of her unconscious need to be the son my dad never had. Nobody could put up shelves better than her. Her husband used to get really up and saying, Why do you never wear a dress? And she said, I never knew until I spoke to you that I had a belief I should have been male. And I'm gonna to have to correct that by being as male as I can. And I said, But that's not true. The universe wanted you to be here, I wanted you to be a girl. You have to celebrate that. It doesn't matter what your parents wanted. But when parents say you shoulda, coulda, woulda, ought to, we feel like a failure. We start to buy into I'm not enoughness. And you know, I've worked with so many children who've said stuff like, you know, my daddy died. But if he loved me, he wouldn't have died. So even when a parent dies, they still have that belief. But if I was enough, you would have stayed. You and my mum fight all the time. If I was enough, you wouldn't fight. And many children who don't feel enough get ill. They become adult hypochondriacs because it's an expressing. If I don't get love, at least I get attention from being sick. Or they become perfections. I've got to be outstanding. And you might not love me, but you'll admire me. Or they become the carer, giving what they haven't got. Or they become so rebellious. It's like, wow, you know, my mom's the carer. My dad's the academic one. My sister's the perfect one. The only place left me is the difficult one. And it all comes to our parents not saying, I love you because you're you. Mm. I love you because you're you and there's nothing, if you're gay, I don't care, I'll be at the wedding. There's nothing you could do that would stop me. I would disapprove of certain behaviors, but I will never, ever stop loving you. And I say to my daughter, look, if you get pregnant, tell me, you'll never be punished for telling the truth. If you go out with gangs and do crazy things, I will never punish you and whatever you do, I won't love your behavior, but I will always love you. Because I saw so many of our friends who couldn't tell the parents what was going on in their life because they felt they would judge them and punish them. And I always said to my daughter, tell me the truth, I won't like it, but I'll always love you and I'll never punish you. And that was very useful to me that she would tell me stuff that made my eyes pop out on stalks, but I was always glad she could come to me and know that she was enough, and I would never judge her for. I mean, we all do crazy things when we we're fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I did plenty, so mm-hmm. it's important not to judge your kids. And if you have an arty kid, which I had, an artist who would come downstairs and smear acrylic paint on the on the wallpaper as she walked down the stairs. you would bring down a painting that was still work. Oh my God, it's now on the sofa. I just had to understand. In the end, I just had to go in her bedroom and. and uh, staple plastic sheeting all over the carpet in walls because I can't change her. She's a very successful artist. Artists are messy; they don't even see mess. I'm super tidy and organised, and I realise it's not my job to make her like me. It's my job to celebrate her difference. You go, why? Why are my kids not like me? I'm like that's the whole point. Mm. Why do you think you're supposed to give birth to yourself? And if you did, that would be super boring. The best teacher is nothing like you. They're nothing like you. Mm
0: -hmm. Celebrate it. It is so good. And then just going back to these three things, not enough. I'm different. I want something that isn't available or isn't possible. What really becomes the remedy? Is it as simple as we just need to start training ourselves? new thoughts, you know, a new story? Is that really where that... it's,
1: It's what I call you become an investigator... Hmm. You become a detective, a dentist, and a coder. So let's say you've got this belief, I'm depressed, and the cure isn't available because I've got the gene. because if I've got the depression gene. There is no cure. And I go, look, you know what? Those studies that tell you that you've got faulty wiring, they're not, they're not wrong because they don't exist. You can't put electrodes on my head and go, ah, oh, you've got the faulty wiring. Yes, you're telling us that my mother was depressed, so I've got the gene. Well, your mother lived a different life to you. And there is no gene that causes depression. Depression is caused by harsh, hurtful, critical words that you say to yourself. It's caused by not following your heart. zone It's definitely caused by not connecting. And we have a generation now that connect on Facebook, on YouTube. My daughter said to me, Mom, don't leave messages. Nobody listens to phone messages. Send me a text. They don't do that. They don't do that connection. They don't leave messages either. So not connecting, not following your heart's desire and being critical of yourself will make anyone depressed. So I become a detective and go, right, where did you get this belief that you got the depressed gene? And let's interrupt that belief because it's not even true. And let's change it with an awareness that being free of depression is absolutely available to you. So you become a detective and you look at where did you get this belief from your dad left before you were born, never saw you, never paid child support. That's appalling. What's even more appalling is that you have now decided you are not lovable. You've given him permission to decide if you're worthy of love or not. So you become a detective and you look at, I call it what lies beneath. Why do you believe beliefs that hurt you? And then you become like a doctor and extract all that toxic stuff. And then you become a super coder and you say the opposite. My dad didn't see me. That's his loss. That has nothing to do with how lovable I am. I got kicked out of school. Many geniuses got kicked out of school. Einstein was told he was uneducatable. Eminem was told no white guy with blonde hair could ever make it in rap. Ed Sheeran was told, look, Ed, you know, you've got red hair and white skin. You don't look like a rock star. And yet they said, I don't care that I'm gonna come back. When Meryl Streep went for the part in King Kong, which went to Jessica Lange, the director said, Meryl, I'm gonna tell you the truth. You're not beautiful, you'll never make it in this industry. She said, you know what, that's an opinion. In a sea of opinions, I'm gonna find a better opinion. And there are many people who, against the odds, make it, bounce back, come back. And we think, wow, because they decided not to give someone else the power to decide how they will feel. So it's all about challenging a belief. Why do I believe that belief? Don't draw attention to yourself. Well, why not? Don't brag about who you are. Well, if I don't believe in me, how will you? You know, we used to have this belief, if you get a job at somewhere like Decca, you're set for life, but this pandemic has taught us something else. Wow, actually, if you work for yourself, you can make it. I'm so lucky that I coach people online and our business is busier than ever. But if I had that belief, I need to work for a company, I need to be employed, then maybe that company is going to go under. We're learning a lot of interesting things in this pandemic, how key workers are so important and should be valued, how teachers will say, oh, my God, I'm teaching my kid at home. All teachers should get a million dollars a year. (laughs) I can't even do it. I can't do these things. And so it's up to you if you want to change your life. Tell yourself better things. You are what you believe. You are what you believe. You make your beliefs. And then your beliefs turn right around and make you. And then even more weirdly, the world seems to match up an expectation of your belief. None of my relationships work. I've never been able to stick it out in a career. Money slips through my fingers. I I can't find the money. Well, nobody finds money. You go out and monetize the gift that is unique to you. So look at your beliefs and change them. If your beliefs make you, why don't you make better beliefs? Cause it really is that simple.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the first beliefs we have to look at is, do I believe that? Like, yeah. I don't believe my thoughts are powerful. Yeah. I don't believe my beliefs create my reality. And then what gets created then, right? This goes well, in one ear do, and right on We could do the
1: a little other. test right now to change that. So put your hand in front of your mouth, close your eyes. And I want you to believe that you are holding in your hand half of a big, fat, juicy lemon. I want you to squish that lemon, see all the lemon juice coming to the surface, stick out your tongue and lick that lemon. (laughs) And now open your mouth and shove that half a lemon in your mouth and start eating the lemon. Suck the juice, swirl it around your mouth, chew out the flesh, suck all that lemon juice out of that lemon. And then open your eyes and tell me, Did you start to make saliva?
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) And your mind knew there was no lemon. It's like there wasn't a lemon. Actually, there was. It was in your mind. Mm. And one of the rules of the mind is emotion will defeat logic almost all the time. So if you can tell yourself you're eating a lemon and make saliva, if you can go to the top of the CNN town and go, my God, I'm terrified. I can't walk across that glass floor My stomach is doing somersaults. If you go to a high building, look down and notice your stomach drops, even though logically there are windows that won't open, you're completely safe if you get freaked out in a lift. If you can't cross a bridge, we've seen that bridge in China made of glass, where people are lying on the floor crying hysterically, because again, I'm gonna die. And actually, you're not going to die on a bridge. You can walk across it, crawl across it, close your eyes and feel your way across it. It's absolutely safe. But if you tell yourself it isn't, then that's what you're reacting to. We react to the words we say to ourselves. The most important words you'll ever hear are the words you say to you. Once you've done the lemon, you go, wow, I knew there was no lemon, but my body believed it. You know, I said earlier, your body believes whatever you tell. It has no choice, but you have a choice. Tell it better things. And Muhammad Ali said, and I love this, I told myself I was the greatest before I even knew I was. But I said it, and I became the greatest And many people do that. They get to say, you know, I'm amazing at this. Celine Dion, when she sold, she sent her first cassette, I think it was to Sony. She called them and said, have you listened? They said, yeah, we don't like it. And she said, you haven't listened. If you listen to that cassette, you would sign me immediately. Hmm. And they said, well, that's arrogant. Let's play it. They got it out of the trash, signed her immediately. Because she knew you could never reject my voice. The problem is many of us get rejected and go, okay, let me scuttle back. You didn't like my book. You didn't like my proposal. You didn't like me. So now I'm going to be alone and never ask again. But you have to not let in rejection. Some of the best people in the One Direction didn't win X Factor. They didn't win. Mm. I think they came third, but they said, well, who cares? Let's come back. Be like a big rubber ball, bounce back. Don't let someone else's opinion tell you no. There are many, like, you know, Luther Vandross. I met him and he used to say, Luther, you're an overnight success. He went, you know, I sang jingles for KFC for 12 freaking years. It wasn't overnight. People said, but hey, Luther, you know, you're getting paid to sing. You're on the television. Isn't that enough? He went, no, I need a best-selling album. And he was rejected and rejected and told you'll always be a backing singer and back he came and he made it because believe you're worth it so important don't let anyone tell you that you're not and then you'll be able to keep coming back from rejection because you know you're worth it and if you know you're worth it you know we see that with a head of the united states an extraordinary belief system there whether you love him or don't and i'm going to stay impartial (laughs) it's not about that it's about look what he's done Mm -hmm. his belief about who he is is extraordinary but you can do that if he can do it you can do it too
0: yeah so fantastic marissa thank you this has been extraordinary i could I know our listeners could as well just hear you for hours. And I know that they can over on your YouTube channel, also your book and your programs. You want to talk a little bit about what are the next steps for people that want to continue learning from you?
1: So we've created a special masterclass for your 90-minute masterclass for all of your viewers. And maybe you'll put up on the screen the link for them to get there. or I can Mm -hmm. actually... So if you go to my free 90-minute online masterclass, then you can live your dream life. You know, we're always told... Nobody can have it all. You can't have it all. Something's got to give. I could have a great career, but then my health will be affected. I could have a great career, but my relationships won't work. Actually, you can have it all, all the time. You can have the career of your dreams, the relationship of your dreams, the health and body of your dreams, but you have to know how. So on this online 90-minute masterclass, we're going to teach you how to massively up-level your self-belief, how to know you are worth it. And if you want love, then the only thing you need is a belief I'm worth it. It's not about what clothes you wear or what you weigh. It's about what you believe. If you want phenomenal success, again, it comes down to belief. 80% of everything you want is down to your mindset, And we give you the mindset, we wire you for wealth, health, love, success. So come along to that mindset, that wealth wiring, health wiring, love wiring webinar, because it's absolutely free. There's no charge. We don't ask for your credit card details. Just turn up because I'm so lucky. I love what I do and I do what I love and I love changing from the inside out. But what I love the most is you can do that in five minutes. You know, that belief that you need to go to therapy for years, you really don't. Mm. Changing your thinking is so easy and free and fast.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we'll link that up in the show notes as well for everybody. So, Marissa, thank you again. Any, any final thoughts, uh, parting wisdom, before we wrap this episode up?
1: Well, I'm enough will change your life. So join the I Am Enough. And I started the I Am Enough movement many years ago by having it on my Twitter feed in every language. If you want to know you're enough, write it on your mirror in marker, put it on your fridge, in fridge magnets. You might notice I've got these little bracelets that say it, but also change your passwords, securely, of course, safely, of course, so that every day you open up your phone or laptop, you have to write in, I'm enough, squiggles, dots, dashes, of course, because if you can only know that if you hear that every day, Read it and write it every day. It will change your life. I've had so many schools take my I Am Enough program. So, you know, it's made such a massive dent Mm. in bullying. It's really helped people. So join the I Am Enough movement. Write it everywhere in your house, on a blackboard, on a piece of art, on your arm, if you like. Print it on your pillows, on your cushions, on your underwear. (laughs) There's not enough ways you can put I Am Enough in your life And its strength is action, its simplicity and its innate honesty because you were when you were born and you haven't lost it. You just buried it under negativity, which you're free to get rid of.
0: It's beautiful. Marissa, thank you again so much. Appreciate you and everything you shared today. Extraordinary. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you for staying to the end. Please check our show notes to connect and take the next steps with Marissa. And we'll see you all here next time on the Mind Your Business podcast.
1: And thanks for inviting me. I've had a great time. Thank you all.
0: Take care. Did you know eight out of 10 businesses fail within their very first 18 months? I believe being an entrepreneur means unlearning everything that we've been taught our entire lives about what it really means to be successful, which is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Activate. I want to show you how to think, act, and behave like the successful entrepreneur that you were meant to be so you can step into the vision that you have for your life